0: Good morning, Uh Jared introduced me, but my name's pa- uh, Pastor Adam Beecher. I'm the pastor at New City Church, one of your uh, many church plants, and I'm always happy to come back to Sailorville. I'm not even from Sailorville, but I always feel like I'm coming home when I come here, just because I know so many of you, and, and, and your ministry has just been so gracious uh, to ours. We love you guys, and uh, always an honor to preach here. I think it's been three years since I preached here, so I must not have done that great last time I was here. Um <laughs> But uh, no, it's, it's, really good. it's really good to be with you. Um, we're, uh, you're in the More Like Jesus series, and this is talking about the things that are important to your church. And uh, I actually, when Pat asked me to preach, I requested this one. I said, let me do the service message. Do your part. We're about service. Um, so uh, for our text today, I'd like to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, if you'd turn there. That's where we'll be reading Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and that passage may be familiar to you because if you were here last Sunday, that's the exact passage that Pastor Paul Seymour preached on, and I learned that Saturday afternoon. <laughs> so, so what we're going to do is play a little game of who preached it better. <laughs> you can, you can uh, tweet your hashtags to your vote, and now let me do it after I preach. Give me a chance, let me Let me try here. No, it was, it was of the Lord. seems very coincidental to us, but it was of the Lord. Um, I, I'll defer to, to Paul on who preached it better. If you, haven't, if you haven't listened to his message, go back and listen to what he preached last week. Um, he preached the heart of this story. This is the, the, the passage where Isaiah gets called to be a prophet. And, and Paul preached on the, the, main, the main idea in that story, which is the overwhelming majesty of God. The passage, if I can confess it, is not about service. It's a little bit about service. Service kind of comes at the tail end of it. It's it's almost a footnote in the story. But what I want to do is spend a lot of time looking at that footnote, and hopefully that's a testament to you on how rich and deep and powerful the Word of God is. We can spend a long time looking and glaring into this passage, and we can get new things from it. So I commend that message to you. I'm going to preach just a slice of Isaiah 6. And then would you do me a favor next week, if the pastor that preaches up here does not say, "Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter six, just quietly get up and walk out of here. Just We are not done with this passage, Sailorville. We're preaching it until we wrung everything out of it. OK. So Isaiah six is not primarily about service, but there is a little piece at the end that talks about service. And I wanted to preach on this because I love serving, and I love servants as a church planner nothing comes easy, really. You have to build up everything, and you're always mobile, and things are always changing. It's just been such a blessing to my heart to see people in God's church that say, I'll do that. I'll serve. I'll help you there. So I'm passionate about this. I love it. And what I want to do is look, at, look to God's Word. What does God's Word say about service? And then I want to commend you and challenge you. I know Sailorville is a church that has served me and served many others, but I want to challenge you in your service and to think about how are you serving the Lord? We're going to do that in three ways. Uh, the first uh, thing we're going to look at is, who should serve? Probably pretty easy, easy question to answer, but we're going to start there. Who should serve? Second thing we're going to answer is, how should you serve? And the third thing is, where can you serve? Uh, let's, so let's turn to God's Word. We'll, we'll, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 6 again, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into the message. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So let's start with who should serve. The Bible is full of commands to serve. This is just a smattering of them, but it's a good, it's a good cross sample here. We'll start in Deuteronomy 13. This is Moses talking to the Israelites, but it's just as true for us. He says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. When we get to the New Testament, not only does this get repeated, it gets expanded upon. 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So not only are we commanded to, to serve the New Testament says, you've also been gifted to serve. God's given you something unique that you can use to serve the church. And then finally, I just end with Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. And that speaks to how we ought to do it. We could go through person after person in the Bible who is a, a, a great example of serving or what serving can do uh, in God's kingdom. I've only selected one or two here, um, but for my Old Testament, let's, let's go to Joshua. This is uh, the leader of Israel after Moses. He sort of took over. He saw the wandering in the wilderness, and then he saw the first conquests in the promised land. And at the end of Joshua, Joshua 24, he's sort of imparting his final words to Israel. What would a man that had lived through all of that, his final words to them, what would he say? Well, this is probably familiar to you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may have that hanging on a wall in your home. A little before that, though, just for some context, he says, choose this day whom you will serve. He gives them an option. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was Joshua's parting words with Israel. Zoom ahead all the way to the New Testament and just go straight to Jesus. This is a a depiction of probably the most famous story of Jesus teaching us and actually doing the act of serving. So on this night when the disciples came in, Jesus is the one who got down on his knee. He got the towel out and he started washing their feet. And it's a way grosser job than you probably think it is just because of all the junk that they were walking through and that sort of thing. A very humbling thing. But it's an amazing picture for us that when the God of the universe took on flesh, he did not walk around and demand to be served at every, at every turn, though he could have he came and did this and said this, I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus models this for us. As if that weren't enough, he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He doesn't just do it and say, come on boys, buck up, we got to serve. He elevates service. He says, if you are serving, you are the first among everyone. And then Just to round it out, he says this, As you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Not only does Jesus Christ, our Lord, model serving and elevate serving, he says that when you serve, the recipient of your service is him. Count it as Jesus. What a profound thing, Sayloville. You could think about that truth for months and months, and it would change your life. If it got into your heart, that truth would change your life. Look at Paul. When Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, a letter very dear to to many Christians, what title did he take on for himself? He said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. That was how he wanted to describe himself. A little bit later on in in Colossians, he says this, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That word toil there is, uh, in, in the Greek, it actually means to work to the point of exhaustion. And Paul did not just use this once, he used it often. I am toiling out here in the field." He didn't just use it of himself either. he talked about other people. They are toiling with me. The work of the church, this church planning endeavor that he went on is hard. And I can relate to that. Paul planted, I think, 26 more churches than I did, and I can still the one I planted took a lot out of me, and it's taking a lot of it's a lot of work. This is the work of the church, right? So to to summarize our first point here, very, very easy, very obvious. Who should serve? Well, Christians should serve. It's throughout the whole book. There's no context for somebody that says, yes, I believe and follow Jesus. I love the Lord, but don't ask me to do anything. That that person does not exist. He's lying over here if he's not willing to move uh, when, when asked to serve, right? So we all know that. We ought to serve. It's an ought to, right? How do we do this? Serve the Lord. With gladness. Come into his presence with singing. OK, I know I should, but how do you do it gladly? Rejoicing, almost worshipfully. And this is where I want to turn to our story, to Isaiah and his story. So uh, of, of all the writers in the Bible, Isaiah was very um, uh, private about himself. In other words, he wasn't very autobiographical. He didn't give us a lot of information about himself. Most of what we know about Isaiah, I've summarized in four bullet points. He was a husband, a father, he lived in Jerusalem, and he's writing around 740 BC. For the most part, that's what we know about this guy. So for our purposes today, Sayleville, Isaiah is just a guy. In the context, he's just a normal guy. But the the extraordinary thing about him actually is this story that we're going to talk about. He has an awesome calling story. It's the most famous story we know about Isaiah. And it begins very nonchalantly. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It's, it's, almost, uh, it's almost flighty, right? Like he's like, one day I was walking and there was God. You know? It's a very subtle open to a magnificent, powerful story. You saw what? What did you see that day? The God of the universe? And then he goes on to describe what I call the throne room, this scene where God dwells. And it's, it's unfathomable. We can't get our minds around it. Words have a limit, right? I can't describe this to you. Isaiah can't describe totally what this is like. But we're going to do our best. And I think, I think one of the things he wants to communicate, just by simple observation, is when he goes into the presence of God, what is that like, Isaiah? Full. Fullness. Completeness. He says that his, the train of his robe fills the temple. The temple is where God's supposed to dwell. So you might ask, well, how much of God dwells in the temple? Is he all in there? Is he totally encapsulated? No, it's the, it's the hem of his robe, the very bottom of his robe. That fills the temple, right? He's giving us a picture so our minds can maybe get around it. The, the, the angels are shouting, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. Who else can that be said, uh, can be true of? The whole earth, how, how, how much of creation is, is, is proclaiming his goodness? All of it everything, fullness, heavens and earth, all the realms, they are all saying how wonderful this God is. And the house was filled with smoke. So as best he can do, what's it like to encounter God? It's, it's full. He's it's, it's complete. He's perfect. And then he goes on to describe these creatures. And, and I love art, and I think this is a really cool picture. I, I, I would hang this poster in my dorm room. Uh, but there's, there's no way. This is, this is like tiddlywinks. There's no way. It's much more magnificent than what the artist has done here, right? They have six wings, and two of them are for flapping and flying and moving, and and four of them are for covering, for modesty in the presence of God, right? These unbelievable, indescribable creatures, and an artist here trying to do his best to, to give us a depiction. But Isaiah is seeing things we can't imagine, and words... fail us here? What is it it like to be in this this throne room? What is Isaiah's reaction to all this? To the holy, holy, holy uh, Lord of hosts. He's in this room, and the only thing they can say about this God is holy, holy, and they say it again and again. You know what holy means, right? Different, separate, above, high, so how do you describe God? High, he's high, he's high, he's up there. He's way different than us. How does Isaiah react to this? We know how he describes it. How does he react to it? Have you, have you ever been to a magnificent landscape scenery? Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon or a mountain? You think it's similar to that? Like, wow, this is really profound. This is, maybe, maybe you've sat at the foot of a mountain and been moved spiritually. Is, is that what it's like to meet God? Like, whoa, Sweet wings, those are unbelievable. I can't believe it. I was just uh, on a mission trip in Africa, and we were on a safari. Um, I worked on the mission trips. The safari was at the end. I'm a servant, trust me. Um, but we did get to do it. We had one fun day. We went on a safari, and I'm to- we saw what I'm told is very rare on a safari. We saw a mama cheetah and her two cubs just walking along the van with us. And the whole van had a buzz. It was like, whoa, this is special. This is neat. Is that what it's like to see God? No. <laughs> no, it's not. It's nothing like that. Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Does that surprise you? That when someone sees God, it's not similar to the Grand Canyon, it's not, Whoa! He looks at himself, and all he can say is, Woe is me, what am I doing here? the majesty of god drives him to look and say why am i here i'm ruining this god is full he's filling everything and here's just this dude this guy from jerusalem that comes along that word lost it's a good word in the hebrew it's used a lot in the old testament and in different contexts and in different translations it can it can be uh, i am lost i'm ruined i'm doomed I'm undone. I'm destroyed. He's trying to communicate something to us. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the one that I like the best there is undone. I think that gets at the sense of the word. So Isaiah comes into the throne room of God, and just seeing him, he starts to unravel. His very self is just pulling apart. That's what it's like to encounter God. You come undone because you see how far short you've fallen. You see your sin, how imperfect you are. And that's what Isaiah's reaction is. God is the opposite of us. But then what happens? The high, high, high God stoops down with a burning coal, puts it on his lips, and now he's fine. He can be there. He was not qualified to be in the throne room God has now qualified him to be there. And he cleanses him. And then comes the the line in this story that I find the most hard to believe. The high, high, high God comes down, atones for the sins of Isaiah, and then he asks a question. This is the first time God speaks in the whole story. And by the way, Isaiah has yet to describe God. He's only described the trimmings and the trappings, his robe and the throne. He hasn't described God himself yet. But now, for the first time in the story, God says something, and it's a question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isn't that extraordinary? The God of the universe has a task. And I'll spoil it for you. The task is he needs someone to go communicate to his people uh, judgment, basically that he has seen their sin and he's going to judge it. But he's, also, if you've read the book of Isaiah, there's a message of hope in there and a prophecy of Christ and, 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 and the renewing of all things. That's the job. That's the job description. He says, whom shall I send? I have a question, Sailorville. Who would be the best at delivering that message? In this room, in this throne room, who would be the best at that? I'll give you option A. How about God himself? <laughs> How about the God who fills the temple with the hem of his robe? Why wouldn't he go and tell them? Wouldn't that be an impactful message? God could do this. Or send one of those guys. You got a bunch of them. You got the six-winged, unfathomable beasts. If one of those came in today and just kind of pushed me off the stage and gave a message to you, one of those things, it would be the most memorable day of your life and you'd be able to quote everything that seraphim said 50 years from now. That would be an effective messenger for what God wants to say. So it's, we have the God Almighty in the throne room. We have these seraphim, unbelievable creatures. Who raises their hand? The sinner. The sinner says, here I am. Send me. What is going on here? He's the least qualified guy. Have you ever, grown-ups, I'm talking to grown-ups here, have you ever been kind of at a backyard barbecue or something, you're talking with grown-ups and then a kid enters the conversation and they start talking? Sometimes that's cute, but sometimes it's like, all right, get out of here, you know? Have you ever been in a work meeting, higher level people in the meeting, and then the intern starts talking too much, right? This, this is that times a million. Why is the sinner raising his hand? Do you, think it's, do you think he's being proud? Is this a lot of hubris? I actually don't. I think he's just willing. I, I think, I know that when you encounter God, it does something to you. And suddenly, this trembling, fearful prophet is now just willing to raise his hand. I'll go. I'll do it. We, we we have a similar story in the New Testament. Do you remember when Jesus takes three of the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they see him as he is? They see him in his glory. Similar story, right? Somebody getting to see oh, what God is really like. But Jesus doesn't have any marching orders in that story. What does Peter say, anyways? He says, Let's build three shelters. I don't know if that was necessary or needed that day. The biblical author kind of throws him under the bus and says, he didn't know what he was saying, <laughs> right? So Jesus didn't have marching orders there, but there was this impulse in Peter. He sees Christ, and he's like, we gotta do something. We gotta do something to, do, uh, to commemorate it. Three, three shelters. I don't know if Jesus thought that was silly or he was, he was pleased with it, but that's what being in the presence of God does, and that's actually the gospel. The pattern that we see in Isaiah 6, is exactly how God saves people and uses people. Isaiah encounters God, he becomes undone, he receives his cleansing, and then, and only then is he sent to do something. This is us. The gospel is an invitation to encounter God, to actually step in that throne room. But it's not so that you can marvel and look at it like some great work in creation. When we interact with God, we see our own sinfulness. We come undone. That's Our word for that in the New Testament is we repent. We see what we've done. We see how far short we've fallen, and we repent. And then, it's not a burning coal. It's Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He still wants us in that throne room, Saleville, And so he, he's proven it to us by dying on the cross for our sins. He knows who we are, he knows, he knows we're just guys, we're just women, we're just kids, we're just, we're just nobodies coming into the throne room. He wants to qualify us. So he dies on the cross, he sheds his blood, that we might be clean. We can be good. We can, we, we, we can go in that room. And then we get called, we get sent. He says he has something for us to do. Now, we screw this up all kinds of ways, maybe two ways in particular. One of the ways we screw this up is we go straight to number four. Some people do this. They say... What should you do with your life? Well, I should just do good things. That's what, life, that's what life amounts to. I'll just do a bunch of good things, and God will be impressed with me volunteering in the soup kitchen. And, and I'm not saying Christians don't have the market cornered on being kind and being merciful. Every night in our country, there are plenty of people that get fed and they get clothing from people who don't have anything to do with God. You don't have to be a Christian to do a kind thing. But God has commissioned us to do these things. And it's not just about the actions. Look, it's the fourth one. The actions aren't the thing. The God is the thing. Who he is is the thing. He doesn't want you just to do a task. He wants you to be with him face to face, to know your sin, to repent of that sin and to be forgiven. He wants to use you. He wants to commission you. So if you do good works all your life, you're going to go up to heaven and think, or go up to God and think, well, he he ought to be impressed. And he's going to say, who told you to do that? For whom did you do those things? So we make that mistake. We go straight to the works without coming into the throne room. Do not attempt to serve a God you have never met. The other mistake we make is we just do one through three and we skip four. We know the gospel, we love the gospel, we use it uh, for our salvation, we have, a, we have a faith, we have a story, but then we can't be asked to serve. Imagine, imagine how the story reads if Isaiah goes into the throne room, and it's full, and the beasts are there, and the coal comes down, and he gets, forgiven, he gets put on his lips, he gets atoned for and forgiven, and then he's like, thanks, sweet, thanks for the atonement, God, catch you later, back to Jerusalem. Stick around for the call, right? Stick around for the assignment. But we do this sometimes. Salvation is like a a ticket out of hell uh, for us. That's not what salvation... God didn't just save you uh, from the consequence of your sins. He saved you so that he could use you. There's work to be done. And I know that uh, especially as a church planter, but it's not just church plants. You, you, You realize you're in a church that's in a fight, Right? There's a fight going on. More people don't follow Jesus than do, right? Plenty of of untruths are being taught in our culture, and people just take them. They just eat them up. Satan is at work. This is a fight. There's stuff to be done. And praise the Lord, this is the good news of the gospel. He doesn't just send angels to come in and clean house. He doesn't just send in SEAL Team 6. He sends in Gomer Pyle. (laughs) That joke killed in the first service. A little bit less, so a. He uses sinners. He uses us. You believe that? He wants to. He wants Isaiah to raise his hand, I'll go. He wants you to do the same thing, but not not until you know him, not until you've come face to face with the Savior. That's the gospel. He not only makes you uh, qualified to be in the throne room, he sends you out of it to do his work. All right, so that's how we should serve, with gladness. How do we do that? Well, we can do that because we know whom we're serving. There's a lie that's in our culture today which says, only do the things that bring you joy. Only do those things that bring you joy. And if there's something that does not bring you joy, get it out of your house, right, or get it out of your life. And that has seeped into the church, and I've heard it in the church, which is people will say, "Uh, I don't want to serve there. I'm not particularly gifted in that. I only want to serve in places that give me joy. I have a question for you, Saylorville. How useful is that person? The answer is he's, he or she is some useful. If you come to your church and say, I will only serve these things because they give me joy and I won't do this, then fine. They'll plug you into those things maybe and maybe you'll serve. Let me give you an alternative. What if you came to your church already joyful? That you weren't getting your joy from the things you were doing. You came in with the joy because you've been with the Lord you know him you know what he's done for you you know that he saved you and so when you get to the church when you finally leave the throne room and come to church you don't ask what the task is you just say here i am i'll do it which one is more useful which one is more god honoring that's my encouragement to you i know some of you pull a lot of weight around here and it's hard to serve with gladness sometimes you do sometimes you serve uh, because your heart is full and sometimes you serve because you because you have to Serving is a spiritual discipline. We ought to serve. We also ought to pray, and we ought to read our Bibles. Sometimes those disciplines can start looking like a checklist, like, geez, the Christian life is overwhelming. But actually, they compound on top of one another. They encourage one another. When you worship, you're moved to serve. You're motivated to do it. When you read your Bible, you want to be with the Lord face-to-face. They add up on top of each other. Don't serve before you worship. Go to God. Be face to face with him. And then bring that joy into the mission of this church. So where can you serve? Oops, I got ahead of myself. Nope, don't ask that question just yet. Um, Okay, Isaiah Isaiah raises his hand. He says, I'll go. Here I am. Send me. What what did he sign up for? What was the job he was going to do? Well, some days, if you're a prophet, some days at the office are awesome. Uh, One time the Assyrians were knocking on the door of Jerusalem. Hezekiah, the whole people, they're panicked. Uh, They're praying. They're asking God to deliver them. Isaiah's the one that got to bring the message saying, God's going to take care of all of it. They wake up the next morning, 185,000 Assyrians are dead. What a sweet... If you're a military leader, you were sweating and praying all night. You wake up and it's like, oh, God just did the battle overnight. We don't even have to worry about it, right? So that was a great day at the office for Isaiah. That, That would be awesome to be a prophet sometimes. And then also this was part of his job. He had to prophesy judgment. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes when you tell him, stop doing this, repent, turn, change. He did that most of his career. He prophesied naked for three years. I don't have time to go into the passage or why. Just believe me, he did that. Um, I I praise the Lord that I never have had a similar calling to that. (laughs) And you should praise the Lord that I have not had that calling. (laughs) And then, uh, we, we, don't have, we don't have this in the Bible, but tradition has it, there's a passage in Hebrews that might be referring to Isaiah, tradition has it that he was sawn in two. So, what did he sign up for? Well, some good and some bad, right? He didn't sign up for the things that give him joy, right? It brings joy to be naked and exposed to all my people, or to be sawn in two, right? Right? He just said, I'm here, I'm willing, and I'll do it. And he, and he did those things. He did the work that God asked him to do. Isn't that as good as good as can be asked of us? Like when Paul says, I, I've, I've been poured out like a drink offering. Don't you want that to be true of you? Don't, 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 don't short arm it when, when God's calling you to serve. Pour yourself out. Give yourself to him. All right, now let's ask: where can you serve? So In some way, I'm a bad person to say this because I'm not your pastor. I don't know the specific needs of your church as well as your pastors would. But I do want to encourage you maybe in a couple of ways. So the first thing, where can you serve? The first thing you need to do is overcome your own sin, overcome these service obstacles. And I've used three old-timey sin words, sloth, pride, and idolatry. But these are the biggest barriers to you doing what God wants you to do, what he's made you to do. So the sin of sloth is the sin that says, I don't want to. And that's the most basic one. If you have children, you deal with this sin every day. (laughs) It's just, a, would rather not. I'd rather stay home on Saturdays or whatever it is. We all understand that. But do you recognize that sometimes as sin? That that can be sloth, that you can be denying the thing that God has made you to do. Now, pride is a different type of sin. And this is probably for people who do pull a lot of weight, who do serve a lot. Pride says, I shouldn't have to. And that's where you do count up, well, but wait a minute, I serve this way, this way, and this way. I shouldn't have to do this. Now, sometimes you might be right, and there is such a thing as time management. I get that, but pride can very easily seep into that line of thought. If we, if we, only, if, if we all did the things that give us joy or we all did the things that we think we, we, we should do but maybe not the other ones, then the nurseries would be empty, no volunteers in them, the toilets would be clogged, the trash cans would be full. Like, there is a reality to sometimes work is just work, and sometimes it's hard and there's a cost to it. But Christians don't come into it looking for joy. We come in with the joy. The third sin is idolatry. And I probably see this the most in Ankeny in my context, which is three whole miles that way. Um, but you, so you guys probably see it too, right? Um, people who say, I love Jesus, I'm a follower, I'm on board with everything you're doing, I love it. I just can't because we have this other thing. Now, again, there's, there's sometimes there's appropriate no's that we say to uh, service opportunities, right? But I want to ask you, if, if, is, is that a pattern in your life? Do you often say no to these things? It's like, oh, gosh, we just can't do it. In, in Ankeny, it's, it's Little League sports. Sports is king. So I get this all the time. It's like, oh, what day is it on? What's oh shoot that's our we're having our baseball tournament that day and it's the 6th one this week but it's a really important one for the following reason you know what i mean like i'm fine with baseball i'm in it i'm fine i'm fine with all the recreation all that sort of thing but when your church calls you when they ask you to serve is there something else that you're saying yes to and you just end up saying no to the church by default the thing that you are you're saying yes to maybe it's little league maybe it's maybe it's your job a big project going on or whatever how does that uh, hold up in the throne room of God? How does Little League Baseball hold up when it's taken into the presence of God? What, is, what does it look like? Or, or the, this, this big project that you've got going on in your life is just consuming everything, what does that look like in the throne room of God? Doesn't it fall apart and turn to ash? Doesn't it just get totally obliterated? This is the, this is the perspective we get when we have time with the Lord. He puts everything in perspective for us. So say yes to your church. Say yes to the needs that, 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 are, that are around you. Let's, let's, let's close with this. I, I, I don't want to be discouraging to you. In fact, um, I know Saylorville is a serving church. I've been a benefactor of your service. Um, you guys are so good to your church plants. And you're doing a great work. There are many people getting saved in this ministry. And you do hard ministry. You have ministry for addicts and special needs and children, and those aren't always easy. You may not know it, but you kind of serve as a model for us church plants. We look to you, and we see fruitful things. So on the one hand, I want to commend you. That's a good thing. It's a witness. It goes beyond the walls of this church, we'll just say. People see that. It's a witness from beyond. But here's my one warning for you, and I just suspect this, I don't know it. But, but in a church plant, we got about 200 people coming on a Sunday. It's really hard for the non-servers to hide. They just stick out because we just have to do everything. We just have to move everything. We always need hands, right? It's hard for them to survive in our churches. In bigger churches, in, in, in a Saylorville church, it's easy to hide. It really is. Now, I'm not talking to you if you're just brand new to the church. Come around, get to know it, whatever. Um, but, it, but if you've been here for a while... It's, it's easy to come in, get your warm cup of coffee, hear the song, it's beautiful, right? Hear a message, maybe it'll even move you, and then you leave, and that's the sum total, right? Stick around for the commission. Stick around for the marching orders. This church, the global church, is engaged in a battle. We need you. We need whatever God's given you, whatever he's gifted you, we need your help. And this is what Isaiah found. He he was face-to-face with God. He came undone, but that God qualified him, and he asked the question, whom shall I send? Same question for us, Sayleville. If you've never encountered the God of the universe, that's your first step. Forget the volunteer, forget the service stuff. You need to meet him, and take it from me. When you meet him, it does stir something in you. It does make you say, something must be done this God is good. I have to serve him. It changes you. God's asking the question, whom shall I send? My prayer for this church, for my church, for our network, for the church globally is this, that we as Christians, having seen the face of God and experienced the forgiveness of Christ, would all raise our hands and say, here I am, Lord, send me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, it is rich. We could come here again and again um, and be fed, Lord. My prayer specifically is for Sayloville Church and the service that happens here, Lord. We know that, that, that serving without knowing you is it's just pointless. But God, you're so great and you're so gracious to us that you move us in such a way where we, we have to serve, we have to move. And you've given us a great commission. You want us to make disciples of all nations. You want us to love our enemies as ourselves. What an impossible task. But God, we're grateful that the same God who commissions us gives us the strength to do the work that you've called us to. So Lord, my prayer is for each person here. If there's a sin getting in the way, if it's pride or sloth or whatever, I pray that you would show them your majesty. Give them a heart to serve others but to more than anything else to serve and love you. Might it be true in this church and in every church. In Jesus' name, amen.